Some people are like, ah. <laughs> I've had some good reaction to that. That is about waking up. Um, the goal of this mini-series as we walk through the book of Luke is to keep our eyes on Jesus and to stay awake. And today we are going to jump right into our text. Um, and I hope you maybe wore steel-toed shoes today because my feet were hurting after the first uh, hour. Man, it's, it's like we really get our toes stepped on a little bit today. But it's important for us to understand what God wants us to do and who he wants us to be. Um, so we're going to jump into that right now. So Luke chapter 6, we're going to start off in verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, what is going on here? This is kind of hard for us to understand if we don't get a little bit of the cultural and, and biblical background. What is a Sabbath and why are they arguing over this? Well, the Sabbath is, is one of what we commonly call the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we find those in Exodus chapter 20. And in verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does that mean? I think most of us immediately think of how we keep the Sabbath day holy as what we're doing right now. We think, oh yeah, we need to gather for corporate worship. That's what God says when he says keep the Sabbath holy. And there's no question that I think that is part of what we do. The early church met together on the first day of the week, and there's a whole transition between the seventh day of the week and the first day of the week, but they met together on the first day of the week to worship and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so we feel like that's a part of what Sabbath means, and it kind of is. But that is not the meaning of the word Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to rest, to cease from work. In fact, God defines it a little bit for us as we continue in Exodus chapter 20. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. See, our culture tells us the opposite of that, right? We need to do more, more, more. Work and school and any organization you belong to just seems to be asking for just a little bit more, demanding time from you that used to be set aside for worship, and family, and friends, and rest. It even gets into the technology. I mean, think about this. Microsoft Office is now called what? Office 365. 12 people knew. Yeah. Office 365. And Google's the same thing. And, and Apple's the same way. They're pushing everything, you know, that it's always available all the time. In fact, this is what Microsoft says. You can work 
work. You can work anytime, anywhere, on any device. Yay. <laughs> now, from a technological standpoint, that's pretty cool. But from what God wants for our lives, that is not very cool at all. It's not healthy. Listen to this excerpt. There's a book that was written called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. Does anyone re relate to that? <laughs> when I relax, I feel guilty? That's what our culture says. This is by a guy named Tim Hansel. When was the last time you woke up rested? I mean, really rested and exuberant and excited about meeting the day. Are you truly able to relax? Or are you still convinced of the notion that the world just might cave in if you dare to stop for a while? The temptation to overwork is potentially one of the greatest problems for dedicated, sincere, listen to the word, Christians today. We are more often characterized by frantic activity, fatigue, and weariness than love, compassion, and joy. Do you have time to rest? Do you even know what it means? Interestingly enough, Scripture not only calls us to enter God's rest, but to live out of that rest. Now, that book was written and published in the year 1979. I find that interesting because those of us who are old enough to remember 1979 think of that as a time that was much less frantic, much less hectic, and there was a lot more relaxing and rest that seemed to be taking place. I remember somewhere around that time, uh, I was uh, home, and it was a Sunday. And uh, we had come home from worship, and we were out in the yard just hanging out, talking, playing, different things. My parents were literally sitting in two lawn chairs with a glass of lemonade in the shade. I mean, it was like this thing you don't <laughs> you're like, wait, does that still happen, right? So um, I remember that. And um, then all of a sudden, it happened. And there was this noise, like somewhere in the neighborhood. It went like this. It was kind of dim, but it was definitely there. And I'd heard the noise before a lot. Heard it very frequently on Saturday. I had never heard this noise on a Sunday, ever, in my neighborhood. It was a lawnmower. And I remember I was shocked that someone would mow their lawn on a Sunday. That was the day when you were supposed to relax and rest and you weren't supposed to work. Now, not everybody in our neighborhood was a Christian, but that was just the way things were, right? And I know a lot of you are like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, and I remember I looked at my parents and they just had this kind of sad look on their faces, like something had just been lost. Now, in our story, it's interesting because in a way, it seems like Jesus and the disciples just started a lawnmower, you know? <laughs> There's this Sabbath thing that's supposed to be taking place, but what's going on? Because the Pharisees, who know the law really well, they really do, they say, you are breaking the Sabbath. And they're more than sad about it. They're actually very upset. So what's going on? 
Well, Jesus and the disciples are not dishonoring the Sabbath. They're doing what God originally intended the Sabbath for, to take care of yourself. Now, part of that is our worship. When we come, we worship God and it blesses Him. But, but have you ever stopped to think what blessing we get? We come and we praise God and say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for who you are and what you do. And he pours back into us. And the songs that are given to him come back as a blessing to us. And some of you know this. This is the place in our worship time that you connect probably the most deeply with God. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember what Jesus did for us. And we confess our sin. And Jesus consistently renews us. When we fellowship together, even for just a minute or two, we pour out, but we really receive. We know that there are people who care about us. When we hear the word of God, we are renewed. We are refreshed. We are challenged. We are, giving spiritual, we are given spiritual food for our week. There are so many things that God gives us. See, that's when God made the Sabbath. That was the whole intention. God says, I want you to take care of yourself, and you need to do that by having a Sabbath time. Jesus reminds the Pharisees that David and, and his men did exactly that, that they were hungry, and so they looked past the letter of the law to the spirit where God said you need to be renewed and refreshed, and so they ate. And then Jesus makes this incredible claim that none of us should ever pretend that would be okay for us to say. Jesus says, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That is saying he is higher than the law. But that makes sense when you believe that Jesus is God, which the disciples did not do. I'm sorry, which the Pharisees did not do. Now, in his account of this story, it's interesting that Mark gives us an additional little paragraph, a little sentence that helps us out to understanding this idea of Sabbath and how Jesus is, is teaching it and relating it to our lives. In Mark 2.27, it says, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was given for our benefit. And again, specifically in this story, the disciples are hungry. So they grab some grain as they're walking through a field. Now, that was completely legal. In fact, it was what God said should happen. But the Pharisees said, no, you can't do that today because it's Sabbath day. Specifically, they considered this particular action work. That was the problem. It wasn't that they were eating, it's that they were doing work. So as they were walking, they grabbed a grain. And the Pharisees said, well, that is, is reaping. It's not reaping. <laughs> reaping is when you get all of the grain in, right? And it takes a lot of work. They're walking through the fields, as God said that you should be able to do, and getting a little bit for themselves. They're gleaning, all right? But the Pharisees are upset because they went beyond that. They actually took the grain and they rubbed it together. That's another form of work. They are winnowing 
this is a horrible thing to do. You should just eat that thing whole, I guess, even though the part that you're supposed to eat should be separated from the part you're not supposed to eat. So they had these incredibly meticulous rules that made no sense. They went far beyond what God originally intended. And as we've seen in Luke, they do this over and over. And again, the Pharisees are not bad people. They just misunderstand what God says. They add these incredibly restrictive things on top of God's original plan. What's interesting in our culture today, rather than adding to God's law, we have a tendency to take away from it. Have you noticed? We just sort of take parts that we don't like, and we get rid of those, or we just ignore it altogether. I mean, it's really true about the Sabbath. Many people don't follow it at all. And I'm afraid that we as Christians don't do much better. We do not rest well either. In fact, this is why my toes hurt a little bit, sorry. Um, Followers of Jesus who would never boast about breaking God's commandment in any other area of their lives will tell you, oh, I am so busy. My life is so packed. My kid's schedule is so busy. We just don't have any more time. Almost like a boast. Resting is not a suggestion that God gives us. This is a command, and it's given for our own good. Now, society tells us that if you rest or get refreshed, that means you're lazy. But God's value system is different. And taking care of yourself isn't lazy. It's obedience. God says, work for six days. And yes, we need to work diligently and faithfully. And some people need to hear that part, right? Just that one thing for some people really needs to be heard. But then we are supposed to rest. We are supposed to have times and seasons and days of rest because that's the way God designed it. In fact, ideally, God says you should take this 24-hour period, dedicate it to me, to yourself, to be resting and refreshed and renewed. And not surprisingly, if, if we follow that, If we follow that idea, then we function better. Now, there's an interesting example of a Sabbath that's not just for a person, it's for a corporation. Most restaurants are open seven days a week. If they're not open on a particular day of the week, it's usually on Monday or Tuesday, but everybody is open on Sunday, right? Because that's the best day for restaurants. I mean, there's just tons and tons of people. But one national restaurant chain famously is closed on Sundays, and they have some good commercials. Let's check this out. Introducing our new grilled chicken. Hungry for more? Go to grilledlove.com. Do you ever crave Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Yeah. I do. (laughs) Why in the world would Chick-fil-A be closed on Sunday? I mean, it is a very, very busy day. Well, rather than speculating, um, I just went straight to Chick-fil-A's website. And here is what it says. 
Since Truett Cathy, the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A, opened his first restaurant in 1946, he has made his closed-on-Sunday policy as much a part of Chick-fil-A as the original chicken sandwich. Kathy believes that being closed on Sunday says two important things. One, that there must be something special about the way Chick-fil-A people view their spiritual life. And two, that there must be something special about how Chick-fil-A feels about its people. By giving employees Sunday off as a day for family, worship, fellowship, and rest, the company attracts quality people. And people are the cornerstone of all that Chick-fil-A does. Chick-fil-A has the opportunity to attract individuals who want to be associated with an organization with a values-based vision that is purpose-driven and that truly values a balance between work and family. As company sales figures have consistently proven, Chick-fil-A restaurants often generate more business per square foot in six days than many other quick-servant restaurants produce in seven. Kathy credits blessings from the Lord for the great success the company has enjoyed and remains as committed as ever to maintaining the closed on Sunday policy. Chick-fil-A knows that it's not only good to be following God's idea of Sabbath, it's actually essential. And uh, our friends at Chick-fil-A, I was there this week, and uh, I said, hey, we're, uh, we're showing one of your commercials this week, and uh, we're actually talking about the Sabbath, and I'm just going to mention that your, your store is closed on Sundays. And uh, they said, hey, that, that's kind of cool. And so we started talking about it. And um, so they, they said, why don't we do something together? And so in your bulletin, you'll find a, a flyer. And if you go to Chick-fil-A this week, um, they just wanted to kind of honor us for talking about the idea that we need to rest. Because, again, this is their DNA. Um, and they said, we'll give 20%, I believe it is, of the proceeds that um, come from the sale of your order back to DCC to use for community ministry. So I just thought that was a cool thing, um, and we're just really grateful for our partnership with Chick-fil-A. So, yeah. Now, I hope you want, I don't, we're not up here going, yay, Chick-fil-A, you know, they're great. I mean, we're just saying, isn't it cool that a, a company said, we believe that this is important not only for our lives, we believe this is important for our whole company, our whole organization. I just think that makes a tremendous statement, and God honestly has really blessed uh, what they would consider not their restaurant, but their ministry. Um, so we, we really need to rest. We really need to do that physically and emotionally and spiritually and even corporately. Please understand, you do not need permission from anyone to take care of yourself. God already gave you permission. <laughs> In fact, he designed you with this need, and, and he commanded it. And he did this even in creation itself. He built in these cycles of necessary rest and refreshment. When you think of it, in a certain way, the Garden of Eden is kind of like a perpetual Sabbath. I mean, as I was thinking about it, it's not exactly that, but it's pretty close because God was in harmony with people, and people were in harmony with each other and with creation, and they had this incredible rest and peace. In fact, when God created the world, as it already said in Exodus, but if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in chapter 2 it says, By the seventh day God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So again, God tells us, work, work diligently, 
for six days, but you need to rest. It just works better that way. Now, I completely get this. You're saying, you know, really? I mean, (laughs) that sounds great, but it's just not possible. I hope you don't misunderstand me. I am not saying if you go mow your yard today, which no one would do anyway, but if you go mow your yard on a Sunday, you know, that you're, you're breaking God's commandments. That's not the point of this. The point is God has said you've got to take time for rest. That's what I'm saying. We need to embrace the idea of Sabbath. And it may not be an entire 24-hour period dedicated in, in a week. I completely understand that. But I think what Jesus is saying is, look, this isn't about the letter of the law. This is about you doing what God has said you need to do to take care of yourself. And we probably would be very, very able to create Sabbath times throughout the week. Some of this Sabbath time will come as we say no to some things. We have a tendency to overschedule our calendars. We do this with our children. It's frustrating. We get burnt out, and God just wonders why we're we doing this to ourselves. Sometimes you just have to make some choices and say, I-, I want something better for me and for my family. See, the world says busier equals better, but God says renewed equals better. So we need to take care of ourselves. And here's something that's really cool that happens. When we take care of ourselves, then we can take care of others. There's an unseen character in this story who is caring for other people, and it's the owner of the field. Now, he planted his crops for himself, for his family to provide for them as they sold them, as as they had the crops themselves. But he also leaves a portion, as God had instructed, for the people who didn't have enough money to go buy things, for the poor. And we know since he followed this law, it's quite obvious that he would have followed the other law that said that you were supposed to give the first of what God gave you back to him. And it's a great model for us to be able to care for other people. We first give from what God has given us. Very first thing. Not second thing, very first thing, whatever God gives us, we give back to him in our tithes and our offerings. And we leave enough margin. We don't harvest everything so that we're full with our, with our budgets. We leave some space to help the poor as it's needed. That's exactly what this guy did. So that's one example of caring for others. But Jesus characteristically gives us a a really good example as well. And we see it as we continue on here in Luke, starting in chapter, or verse 6 of chapter 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life 
or destroy it. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Now imagine, imagine how blessed that man would be to have full functionality of both hands, whereas before he had only had one. And Alan Culpepper says, Luke adds that it was the man's right hand, the hand normally used for work, gesturing, and greeting. Since one performed chores of bodily hygiene with your left hand, that hand was not to be presented in public. The man had lost the use of his, quote, good hand, presumably forcing him to use his left hand in public, thereby adding shame to his physical disability. But once again, Jesus addresses not only the person's physical need, but their emotional one as well. And he restores both the man's hand and his heart. And then the Pharisees get mad because they say, this is not permitted on the Sabbath, this is work. So Jesus, as he does, turns their own teaching on them. Michael Card observes, the rabbinic litmus test in regard to Sabbath observance was the simple formula, choose the way that preserves life. Jesus formulates his question based on their maxim, but places it in the context of extremes. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? The form of Jesus' question elevates it out of the realm of theological debate. Are they supposed to answer, no, it is lawful to do evil and destroy life? As is his custom, Jesus leaves them speechless. Well, they can't think of any words, but they begin to think of actions. And when it says that they were furious, it literally means that they were filled with madness or folly. They are crazy mad and they're not going to stop until Jesus dies so in this context then what does Jesus do well Luke paints another portrait for us that follows right after this verse 12 one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God when morning came he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This passage sets a brand new scene for us, but it really ties back to these two Sabbath stories. And I mean that in this way. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes off to pray. Jesus takes time away from the world, away from the chaos, and he goes to be with God. And he is renewed. He is restored. He is refreshed. This is soul care. This is Sabbath. Jesus takes care of himself. And then right after that, what does he do? He formally chooses his disciples after he has been renewed. And after God has given him clarity, he chooses these 12. And he's going to pour into their lives over the next three years. And then 
He will challenge them to pour their lives into others. And they will challenge those people to pour their lives into others. And it continues to this very day. It's actually why we're here. Because someone followed that pattern of being renewed by God and then going out to care for other people as well. So that pattern is simply called discipleship. And it's what we are all called to do. Now, I've, I've used this illustration before, but it's really simple, and I like simple things. On the back of the shampoo bottle, which I don't obviously need, <clears throat> there's this phrase, the directions for shampooing are very challenging. They are this, these, they are those, these, they are the directions. Okay, directions are lather, rinse, repeat, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. That's really the model that God consistently gives to us over and over in the scriptures. Come to me. Take care of yourself. Let me give you what you need. And then go take care of others. And repeat. Now, may that be our commitment today, tomorrow, every day, that we would, would truly care for ourselves spiritually and emotionally and physically, and not in an unhealthy, narcissistic way. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking care of ourselves the way that God intended so that we can then go out and take care of other people in his name. Would you pray with me? God, this is really hard for us to do. I mean, we, we confess to you that we have bought in to the world's lies that more, more, more is what is needed. We bought into it in so many ways. I, I'm included in that. So this is an issue that we need to have faith and trust in you. And first, we need to trust you, Lord, for our salvation. We need to place our faith in Jesus the only one who can save us. And if there's someone here today that hasn't done that, God, I, I pray that they would embrace you, that they would come forward and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. To turn away from the crazy world that just tells us things that are so contrary to what is needed for our lives. To be baptized and connect with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as your word boldly and beautifully proclaims. And God, I, I pray for those of us who have done those things that we've, we've still struggled with this idea of rest so that we can be renewed and, and be more productive for you and more fruitful for you. So we're going to somehow trust you differently than we did earlier today. We're going to come to you for rest. And we ask that you would draw us from this world of chaos into your calming presence. God, you really are everything that we need. You can renew us. And then send us out to work hard and to care for others in your name.
Thank you for your wonderful, simple design for our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?